So David had already had some experience with the Lord's deliverance concerning his enemies out in the in the in the shepherd's fields with his with his father's sheep. And this situation to David was really no different, just a different animal to kill. He says, "Your servant, verse 36, has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them." And I love that faith of his. Notice he didn't he didn't say this uncircumcised Philistine, it's, it's possible that, you know, he's going to be like one of them. No, he was like, he's going to be just like one of them. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. As a young shepherd boy facing lions and bears, David had no idea he was being trained to fight a giant. In the midst of our preparation, we rarely see how God will use it. Yet now, David can look back and know that the same God who delivered him before will also deliver him now. David knew that God's help in times past is a prophecy of his help in the future. This is generally God's pattern for preparation. He calls us to be faithful right where we are and then uses our faithfulness to accomplish greater things. If David ran scared at the lion or the bear, he would never have been ready to fight Goliath. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Daniel anointed him as king. Even though it would take a handful of years before it would actually come to pass, God's hand was already on David, and Saul began to decline, and David began to excel. And God's hand was upon him. The Spirit of God was upon David, but the Spirit of God left Saul, and often a distressing spirit would come upon him. So in verse 30, it says, Then he turned, David turned him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did, concerning what the reward would be for killing Goliath. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. So Saul says, Who is this young man? Bring him. And so in verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail him because of Goliath. And notice what he says, Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Notice that first he was a servant. Even though David had been anointed king, and in all sense, in all sense and you know, purposes, he was God's anointed king. And Saul was diminishing. But yet David didn't think too highly of himself. He didn't walk up and say, Hey, buddy, I'm the new king in town. Hop off the throne. Need to have somebody measure this and make it a little shorter for me. No, he didn't do that at all. Notice he said, Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. It's at this moment, I believe, that David proved that he was the rightful king. Even though he wasn't usurping, he wasn't demanding anything. David came as a servant first, and that is why God could make him such a great king. I love that. And Psalm 75, verse 6 says, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. 
But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. And that's exactly what's happening here with Saul and David. God is going to be putting down Saul and he's going to raise David to be one of the greatest kings Israel ever had. Notice verse 33 back in our text. So Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. You're just a short little stubby guy. You don't have any experience whatsoever. You're going against a very seasoned war hero. What do you think you're going to do to him? In other words, you're out of your league. You're going to get killed. And again, Saul lacked the faith, the conviction that David had. And if you think of it, what a, what a wet blanket Saul was to David's faith. David knowing in his heart that God was going to give him victory, and we'll see that shortly, and Saul to come along and just put a wet blanket over him. You're not, are you kidding me? What do you, what do you, it's a death wish. What's the matter with you? You need to go, go to counseling. You need a pill. You need to take a pill. You got ADHD, David. You need to take Ritalin. You will find that those who demonstrate great faith are often displayed by the un, are often despised, excuse me, by the unfaithful and the cowardly. It's true. There's an old phrase that says, misery loves company. Saul was miserable. He knew his time was up. Everything was falling apart on him. He didn't have any conviction, didn't have any faith at all. And now he sees this young buck coming up. And you know how that is, guys. Maybe you've been in the workforce. Maybe you haven't been doing your job. And you've gotten used to things. And you're just kind of riding, the, you know, just kind of laying low and doing the very bare minimum. And then some young guy fresh out of college comes in. He's all full of zeal and willing to do anything and smart, too, and you know, and he just comes in and lights a fire under you. And you have a choice. I can either love this guy and rise to the occasion and help him out and, and be part of something good, or I can tear him down. And usually the opposite happens. Saul was without power and assumed the same thing for David. But David had a secret. And what is that secret? It tells us in Zechariah 4, verse 6, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not going to be with a sword. It's not going to be with a fancy rifle. It's not going to be with some kind of uh, experience and warfare. I'm going to go out in the name of the Lord and my shepherd's staff and my sling and a handful of stones. That's all I've got. And Goliath has got all these, he's got this javelin here in the center of his chest. and He's got a weaver, you know, the spear, and he's got a sword. And he's got a guy going out in front of him with a shield. I mean, the guy is, like, completely decked out. He looks, he looks like a tank coming out onto the field. But he's got this one little area around where his helmet is. It's a target for David. <laughs> this little, the only thing that's not covered is this little area right here with Goliath's big nose, his Gentile nose sticking out. Probably got a big wart at the end of it. And I wonder if David's three older brothers, as they're hearing this, are going, oh, brother, you care? You, you're going to let him go out? Are you serious, Saul? It's going to be a bloodbath. He's going to rip his arms off. Sorry to be so graphic. It's a pretty graphic chapter, I think. But Saul wasn't used to walking by faith. The last time we saw an act of faith was when Jonathan, his own son, took on the Philistines in chapter 14. You can read that. Jonathan had more faith in his father. 
And we're going to find that in the next chapter that David and Jonathan, their souls were knit together. They, they were both men of faith and they loved each other. And Jonathan gladly, gladly bowed to David and said, you know, I will serve you. I'll even give you my, 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 my robe, everything that I have. I, 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 he was so enamored by this man's faith. And kindred spirits they were. They, they, were, they, they loved each other as men. They were friends. That's what real brotherhood is, isn't it? When you, just, when you really love each other, it's nothing weird. It's, it's a genuine, real respect. It's like, I would take a bullet for you. I would take the sword for you because I, I respect you. you got the same heart as I do. Verse 34, it says, But David said to Saul, Your servant, notice, again, your servant, David, being very respectful, very understanding very well who was before him, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. You know, I'm just hoping in glory the Lord shows us the real. You know, he puts, he puts, the, he puts the real on and he, he pulls through the tape and watch this. We'll watch it again, right? And all of creation, we're sitting there going, yeah, play the David thing again. I want to see that. And David's going, oh, man. I do. I think that we will. I think I'm just weird enough to think that God will show us these things because he's able. Show us the whole thing, Lord, from beginning to end. We got eternity. We got time. I want to see what David looked like when he was running out onto the field. We'll get there. We'll get there. So David had already had some experience with the Lord's deliverance concerning his en- enemies out in the, in the, in the shepherd's fields with his, with his father's sheep. And this situation to David was really no different, just a different animal to kill. He says, your servant, verse 36, has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. And I love that faith of his. Notice he didn't, he didn't say, this uncircumcised Philistine, it's, it's possible that, you know, he's going to be like one of them. No, he was like, he's going to be just like one of them. He's going down. And David wasn't boasting in any of his own strength. God gave him a supernatural faith and a strength. His, he was full of zeal and confidence in God. And what I think is interesting, too, is If being a king was something that God had ordained for him because he was anointed king prior to this, David had to believe that, God, if you're giving me this this enough courage to go out and do this, then i got to believe that you're going to give me victory because you've called me the king of Israel, and I don't understand that. I don't even feel it right now as a 17-year-old kid. I don't understand it. I don't feel it. But I believe it because that's what you said. And David had that kind of relationship with God. When God said something, he was just foolish enough to believe it. Shouldn't we? When we read the Bible, shouldn't we just believe what God says instead of arguing with him? But Lord, I got a better way. I can do it better. I can get it done quicker. There's a way we can get it done quicker. And God's like, I don't care about how long it takes. I'm concerned about the process in between. Do you know that? He's concerned about the process because in the process is where we grow. That's where our faith is examined. That's where we are examined. It's where we grow. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and Jehovah be with you. 
I love what Alan Redpath said concerning this. He says, David had the anointing, and I quote, David had the anointing of God upon him because of faithfulness in the obscurity in his home, in his home life, because there he had passed the test. He was anointed by the Spirit of God alone in private before he came out into the public arena to stand in the name of the Lord. Isn't that so wonderful to think about? All those times in the, in the fields, he didn't realize God was preparing him for something. And we don't always understand what God is doing. He's preparing us. Everything that you've gone through, you may think of it as an accident. You may think that it's something that doesn't make sense. But God sees something else. He sees, I'm doing this, and you're going through this hardship because I've got something else for you, and you need to be prepared. And the only way I can prepare for it, prepare it, you for it is to go through what you're going to go through. You don't understand it now, but you will. And you know, I look back even in my own life, and I see certain things that God has done in my life. And at the time, I was completely confounded by it. And then later on, I started to get a, an understanding. Wow, Lord, I can see how you might have allowed that for this. And he's like, yeah. You didn't know at the time, did you? And I'm like, no, I had no idea. I didn't even know you then. And this is often where the Lord does his best work. Unbeknownst to us in our trials and difficulties, God's strengthening us. He's training us, encouraging us to trust him, growing in our faith in him. It's in the secret place of preparation that God does his greatest work that he might unveil it at a later time when the stakes are much higher. I like that. And it makes everything that I'm going through and the things that I've gone through even this last year that many of us have gone through in the last year. As a nation, we've gone through things this last year that we would never want to go through again. So, so Saul clothed David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. A coat of mail are those little sequined, it looks like sequins, but they're metal things, and, and they're all woven, and they're over each other so that a sword can't pierce it. And it's a great protection. But Saul had always trusted in anything else but other than God. And what a dichotomy there was between Saul and David. David trusted God, and David trusted God with very little. But Saul needed to have all of this stuff, and even then he didn't trust God. <laughs> That's interesting. So Saul's going, hey, before you go out to this guy, you better put on some. Here, you got to take this. Here, you got to take this. you got to put this helmet on. And oh, by the way, here's my sword. And David puts all this stuff on, and he probably is just, oh, this is, you know, his face is probably all red. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding in all of your ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. David was certainly trusting the Lord. Saul was not. And notice what it says in verse 39. David fastened his sword to his armor, Saul's sword that is, and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these, for I have not tested them. And so David took them off. What a wise man. What a wise man. David was not used to armor and swords. He was used to his staff and a comfortable little sling. And while it may not be bad to be open to new things, we should be very careful when we are forced into something that we have not proved ourselves. It's important that we prove things and even prove them under harsh conditions and times conditions that are going really well. David proved his staff and sling over and over again out in the field. 
A carpenter, when he has his favorite hammer, he knows how, how hard to swing that hammer. It becomes part of him. It, it looks old and nasty because he's used it for hundreds of hours of time building houses and rough framing. He knows the weight of that hammer. He knows just how much he needs. And any of you who swing a hammer, you know you've got a favorite hammer, and that hammer, you know it. You, you, you've, you've proved it. When you hit that nail, you know just how hard to hit it. You give a man a new hammer that he's never used before, and it throws off his equilibrium. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's, not, he's got to figure this thing out. He's got to prove it. You get the idea. It's like somebody giving me a different guitar than the one I'm used to using. Remember when we went to Israel this last March, I, I had this guitar, and his brother was so faithful to let me borrow his guitar, and it was a, it was a cheaper guitar than the one I have. And, and you don't want to bring anything really fancy over there, by the way, because you've got to go through all these checkpoints and airplanes, and anything can happen, and usually does. But the guitar just wouldn't stay in tune. I mean, I had wrestled with it the whole trip and just always tuning the thing, but I knew my guitar, I could tune it once, and I could play for hours, and it would be just fine. I didn't really, I I tried to prove it before I went, and I sort of did, but it was still a problem for me. But see, David hadn't proved it. He hadn't proved this armor. He had proved his staff. He knew that. He knew his sling. He was confident in his God. And notice verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And if you remember, I had a graphic up on the screen last week about where this battle was, and there is a stream, and I actually was in that stream not too long ago and walked that stream, and there from that stream is when David picked up those five smooth stones. And there's smooth stones there today. It's a, fun, it's a fun place to be, to actually see the land and see where it all came out. It's really exciting. So he puts the five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and a sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And five stones... Why five stones? Now, this is conjecture. Okay, conjecture. It could be that David maybe wanted to have enough stones in case he missed. I certainly would want one. If my nerves got the best of me as I'm going out against this nine foot nine, you know, nightmare, I would want to have extra ammo in the bag. Or could it be? That David also knew something else about Goliath, or maybe he was told, is that Goliath had four other brothers, just as big and ugly as he was. We'll look at that. In fact, in 2 Samuel, and again, this is the conjecture, but we believe it's pretty close to the truth here. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, just write this down, but I'll read it to you, beginning in verse 15. It says, When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants, and this is much later in time, of course, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. He was older then. And then Ishbi Binab, who was one of the sons of the giant, who was Rapha, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was wearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. And then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. And it happened afterward that there was again another battle with the Philistines at Gob, and Sibachai, the Hushathite, killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. So now we have two sons of, of Rapha, the giant. And there was war at Gob with the Philistines, and where El-Hanan, El, El the son of jair Orajim, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. 
1 Corinthians 20, verse 5 tells us that Goliath also had another brother whose name was Lami. But back in verse 20, now in 2 Samuel 21, it says, Yet again, there was war at Gath. There was a man of great stature, check this out, <laughs> who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he was also born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, this is uh, Shimei is actually Shammah, which is David's brother. He killed him. And notice, these four were born to the giant in Gath, which is where, Dave, or where Goliath came from and fell by the hand of David and by his servants. So back in our text, verse 41, So the Philistine came and, being, and began drawing near to David. And, and again, uh, if you saw the picture that I had up on the screen, it's just a valley, beautiful valley. It's a farm field now. And here David is coming out, and Goliath is coming out. The armies on each side of the mountains, and they are down in the valley getting ready for this duo, this showdown. And David and the man who bore the shield uh, went, uh, I'm sorry, so the Philistine came, verse 41, and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield of Goliath went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw, underline that, looked about and saw, when the Philistine, when Goliath looked, and he, he looked about, and he saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth. He was ruddy and good-looking, and this is so typical of the flesh, because in the flesh, we size everything up in the flesh. We look at it, and we go, that's a big guy, but I need a bigger gun. <laughs> right? And that's exactly what Goliath is doing, because that's all he's ever done. He's a man of the flesh. He's looking at David going... You know, think of this. He's looking down upon him, you know, and he's saying, what's this? Are you kidding me? Of, of all the army of Israel, this is what you send out? And you can just see the defenses of Goliath. He's like, <laughs> you can just see his helmet, and he's just kind of rolling back and going, oh, this is going to be fun. I can't wait to rip this guy's arms off. The man of flesh, Goliath, could only see with his eyes and figure things out in the natural. He was unaware at that time, incapable of seeing how God was going to use this young man of little experience to defeat him. So verse 43, so the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, lowercase g. And so the stick that he's referring to is David's shepherd's staff. So David has his staff in his hand, and Goliath says, Are you, are you going to come out with me with a stick? Are you, are you serious? Have you been sniffing glue? You're going to come out to me with a stick? Am I a dog? <laughs> and the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Goliath's intention was bodily harm. And notice, then David said to the Philistine, and I love this. This is the stuff that makes great movies. But I'm glad there hasn't been a movie made about this, although I'd love to see it. He says, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You have defied. You're coming at with me with all this armament, and I've got nothing but the word of God. I've got the word of God on my side, and I've got this sling and to Goliath, he's thinking, what's that? It's like a fly to me. You throw a rock at my, at my head, it's going to be like a fly. What's that? We just went by my ear. Oh, it must have been a gnat. I'm sorry. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.